Uh, hi, everybody. My name's Leo, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Very nice for me to be here tonight to be able to share. And uh, as everybody here knows, the theme of the conference is a vision, a vision for you. And so what I want to be able to do, hopefully, is to be able to, in my story, say something that makes sense to you so that you can take this vision into your lives, into your relationships, into your families. I don't think I've ever been at a convention where there's been so many balloons. All I want to share with you is that it's, uh, I received, I received, received some cheese and fruit in my room uh, from the committee. The committee who are here, I want them to know that I am very pleased. There's nothing like a bit of cheese and fruit. Some of you who've eaten in the restaurant will know how important it is to have something decent to eat. I just had some fish and chips. Go for the hamburger. The great thing about it is that it's nice to be here. I was flying... From Los Angeles, people don't realize I live in Long Beach, Los Angeles. Where the earthquake? You remember the earthquake? I had to do a radio show, KABC radio afterwards, because they had me on that radio show. And the question was, did God send the earthquake? One woman said, yes. God sent the earthquake to get rid of the alcoholics and the drug addicts and all those homosexuals. I said, well, he missed. I was still at the airport, still at the airport, getting ready to fly away. And anybody who knows, sees me, know I don't carry a lot of stuff. What do you need? You just need a pair of underwear. <laughs> and I'm still at the airport and there's a group. You know, you can always tell when there's a group looking at you. You can always tell there's a group. And one of the group comes over, I'm dressed like this, and he says, Are you a preacher? I felt like saying, I wear these clothes to fly. <laughs> I said, yes. I said, uh, I said, I'm a priest. He said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He said it three times. Praise the Lord. He belonged to a Baptist convention. I looked at him and I said, Praise yourself! Praise yourself! I said it three times. Praise yourself! 
I think he thought I was a new age penguin. Isn't it incredible? It's incredible. We're so incredible. So there are so many people who praise God, but they don't praise themselves. Am I right? One of the most important things, and especially those who may be new in the program, and I address my talk tonight to those who are new in the program, is this. Absolutely important for you to begin to love, respect yourself. This program, The Spiritual Awakening, isn't just about not drinking. It's about when you realize you have dignity. It's a powerful, powerful child of God. Now, I want to start, share that with you right, right at the very beginning because it's amazing how many people miss it. The Spiritual Awakening isn't just about not drinking. This is a program that we practice in all our affairs. Father Joseph Martin, some of you who have heard speak, seen him on the videos, says very often about a man who comes in as a drunken thief and gets sober and he says to everybody, today I'm a sober thief. And Joe says, no, you cannot be a sober thief. If you practice these, these principles in all your affairs, it's not just about not drinking. We change. We walk different. We talk different. We dress different. Our language is different. We don't use. And we certainly don't use people. This is a spiritual program, otherwise it's nothing. I come before you as somebody who is a drunken priest. That's why I'm wearing the clothes that I am today. I am proud to be sober as an Episcopal priest. I was raised as a Roman Catholic, trained to be a Jesuit. I can see some of you know the Jesuits. But I uh, disagreed with the church's teaching on birth control. And so I left. How to be a Jesuit you believe in birth control. I'm very happy as an Episcopalian today. The reason I say this to you is, and especially for those who are new, this is not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. It's not about whether you're a Catholic or whether you're a Protestant or whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Hindu. It's about whether you're a spiritual person. Somebody said it a long time ago. I can't remember who. But they said, religion is man-made. Spirituality is God-given. Religion will divide you. Spirituality will bring you together. That's the vision. It's about human beings learning to respect difference because if you don't realize it, we are not the same. Everybody in this room has something about them that is unique and special. That you bring into recovery. The worst thing in the world is for you to try to be somebody else. You be yourself and be the best that you can be. You probably realize by now that I'm not from Ohio. (laughs) 
I'm from London, England. Just outside of London, I was educated. And just for you to know that uh, George Bernard Shaw, years ago, said that America and England are two countries divided by a common language. Sometimes you'll say something doesn't mean the same as me. Sometimes I'll say something doesn't mean the same as you. Hey, time. It can be embarrassing. My mother, she's 82. Father's 82 as well. They came over last year. They come on a cruise with me every year. I do a cruise every year. And they came over and I thought it's a treat. We're talking treat. I would invite the bishop and his wife, the Episcopal bishop and his wife. Now, do you have a mother like my mother? My mother will ask a question. Then she answers her own question. And then she walks away mad. Well, anyway, she behaved all the way through the meal. Till the bishop was getting ready to go. Then she got the bishop by the hand. She said, Bishop, it was wonderful having you here for dinner. Now, please go home and keep your pecker up. I don't know whether many of you realize, but in England, the pecker means the nose. It means hold your head up. I could tell. By the expression on the bishop's face. The pecker didn't mean the same in America. The bishop's wife was heard to say, I wish he could. <laughs> Every country has its famous trunks. You and Dean Martin. We had Winston Churchill. I don't know how many of you realize Winston Churchill used to drink a bottle of brandy a day. Some lovely stories told about Winston. One day he was having dinner with Lady Astor, and Lady Astor turned to Winston Churchill and said, Winnie, Winnie, you're drunk. Winston Churchill, in his inimitable way, said, Madam, you are ugly. <laughs> but I shall wake up sober in the morning. She was very quick to say to him, she said, Winnie, Winnie, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your soup. Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> now, everybody has their favorite stories. There's a story written about which everybody has your favorite, favorite stories. But I thought to myself, you know, that's the disease. You sitting here and you want to know about the disease of alcoholism? It isn't just about drinking liquid. It's about how we play games, how we drive people crazy, how we tell lies, how we're arrogant. All those characteristics of Winston Churchill. How many of us made our significant others feel that they were crazy? Talking about that, it seems to me that if you can catch the disease in a joke... You should be able to catch recovery in a joke. 
There's a lovely story about an Al-Anon. Is anybody from Al-Anon here? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. You never used to be. <laughs> lovely story about Al-Anon. She, she's got five years in Al-Anon. But she marries badly. She marries a very old-fashioned man. On their wedding night, they go to the bedroom. And the man, he takes off his trousers and he throws his trousers in the middle of the bedroom. He said, wife, get into those trousers. She says, I can't get into those trousers. He said, no. Don't you ever forget who wears the trousers in this marriage. How many years has she got in Al-Anon? How many? Yes. She did no more. She took off her panties. She threw her panties in the middle of the bedroom. She said, husband, get into those panties. He said, I can't get into those panties. She said, no, and you won't until you change your attitude. Now, you may, be, you may be thinking, what recovery got to do with panties? You're listening. <laughs> Some of you may be thinking, what's recovery got to do with pants? Everything. Because, ladies and gentlemen, maybe for the very first time, some of us are going to have to stand up for ourselves. You know, sometimes in recovery we have to stand up to the very people that we love and we respect. And some of the books that I've written, I wrote something, and sometimes when you write something... It, seems so true. I wrote in a book once, sometimes you must love somebody enough to let them go. And I suspect many of us in this room have had to say goodbye to some people who were very special to us. Nothing in life is free. The wisest thing my mother, bless her, taught me was that nothing in life is free. Recovery has a cost. Tonight, you will decide whether you are willing to make the price pay the cost. You cannot get well without working the steps. You cannot get well without understanding the principle. And by the way, the program is not written in a book. The program has to be written in your heart. There are many, 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 many people who can quote you chapter and verse of the big book. Doesn't mean to say they know the program. It's rather like the people who sometimes quote the Bible. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a funny story about that. What do you get if you mix a Jehovah's Witness with an agnostic? 
somebody knocking at your door, but they don't know why. <laughs> but I tell you, you can, you can quote, you can quote, but at the end of the day, remember what it says. The program of attraction. What you should be looking for is that spiritual awakening that makes you go, Wow! I want what she's got! I want what he's got! And believe you me, it's not just about quoting. It's about living. How you live. I hope that all of you will be able to identify with this story that is older than religion. It's an ancient story. And sometimes in these ancient stories we find eternal truth. It's about a man who dies and goes to heaven and he's knocking on the gates of heaven. And God says, who's that? And the man says, it's me. And God says, go away. He thinks, this is ridiculous. I'll go back. Not again. God says, who's that? The man says, it's me, George. He says, go away. George. <laughs> so he sits and he thinks, what am I doing? What am I doing? What? And then he gets it. And he goes and he knocks on the gates of heaven and God says, who is it? And the man says, it's you. And God says, come in. Can you find God in your life? I know you can find God in a Bible, you can find God in a crucifix, you can find God in a sunset, you may even be able to find God in a flower. But can you find God in your life? You want to know what being a winner is? There it is. You want to know what being successful is? There it is. If you can find something special, something of God in your life, there's the spiritual awakening. That's what it means when somebody you see or you hear and you say, Wow! I want what you have. Now what the big book of Alcoholism Anonymous suggests to people like me who are speakers is that we should say what it was like. What happened and what it's like now. And by the way, the purpose of that is not so much so that I can hear my story, although God knows I need to. But it's so that you can also hear your story. My situation took place a long time ago in England. I may be a priest, but believe you me, the feelings and the incidents are the same. You should be able to identify with my situation even though it's a different story. And sometimes as I was coming along the corridor, coming down the stairs here in the elevator, somebody said to me, are you scared of speaking to such a crowd? No. Why am I scared of family? And there's something else too. 
You never hurt me. You never made my mother cry. You never put me in jail. You never made me bleed. There's one person in this room that I fear most. And that's me. <laughs> Who's the biggest enemy consistently in my life? I'll tell you, his name is Leo. I need to work on Leo. I can blame others, but at the end of the day, I need to confront Leo. What it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I started to drink when I was 15 years of age in a private school in England. They used to give us in the school beer to drink in the evening before we went to sleep. And it wasn't so much that I liked the taste, it wasn't so much that I got drunk, Whew, but I liked how I felt when I drank. I want to be the first speaker to tell you this or the last. Alcoholism is a disease of the feelings. I'm five foot seven, five foot eight on a very good day. But when I drank, I felt six foot two, I felt bigger. I had a stutter. You know, a stutter, we're talking stutter here. When I drank, the stutter went. I thought I found a friend in the bottle. I thought this little friend was going to be with me all my life. And he was going to help me when I was lonely and when I was scared and when I was frightened. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this disease is cunning, baffling and powerful. It's also patient. It can wait. I drank through some of the best schools in England. I was ordained. I've been ordained a long time now. 23 years. I was ordained in 1971. I was one of the youngest priests in England. And just like you, I had to have an excuse to drink in the bars. So I said, the lost and the lonely, those sheep without a shepherd, they needed me. And they were all in the bar. When I went to the bars, I'll tell you, if you go in a bar dressed like this, people notice you. Because <laughs> there's a penguin at the end of the bar. <laughs> Everybody likes to see a priest even if they don't go to church. Give the priest a drink. Give him two. Give him three. Then he'd come over. You're the kind of priest we like. You're down to earth like we need. God sent you to us. You have a way of touching us, Leo. Because you smoke like we smoke. You talk like we talk. You drink like we drink. You throw up like we throw up. People started to go from the bars to church. One woman said to her husband, shall we stay at home and listen to Benny Hill? 
Oh, well, shall we go to church? We'll listen to Father Leon. <laughs> Same thing's going to happen. <laughs> I've always said it. I said it. I'll say it again. If you're a nurse, there's going to be times you're going to be drunk in your hospital. If you're a truck driver and alcoholic, there's going to be times you're drunk in your truck. If you're a mother and an alcoholic, you're going to be drunk with your family. If you're a priest and an alcoholic, you're going to be drunk doing the services. I remember once doing a funeral drunk. I followed the coffin into the hole. I tell you, it's very scary when you hear the amens coming from above. <laughs> but it was an Irish funeral. <laughs> so they, they, didn't, they didn't worry about it. <laughs> Let's get the priest out of the hole. <laughs> get the priest out of the hole. He's in the hole. I remember they got me out, we went and had another drink. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, the next time there was going to be a problem. I'm being serious with you now. And I'll tell you, everybody in this room, you had some kind of incident. You know, I haven't said to people, do you know why we're here? It's a full other word. It's called pain. That's why we're here. And I've been, I should tell you this, I've been sober 17 years this month, actually the 4th of July, 17 years. <laughs> but I have to share with you, and I first saw all those fireworks going off, I thought, wow, all these people keep him on birthday. <laughs> but the reason I share it with you is it's pain that brought us in here. Now, here's an interesting thing. I know many people who've relapsed. Maybe some of you are in this room. You've relapsed. And I'll tell you why, and I don't even have to know you. You forgot your pain. If you forgot the pain that brought you in here, you ain't going to stay. Have you ever thought, every time you go to a meeting, it doesn't matter what the meeting is, a discussion around the big book, step study, speaker meeting, discussion, it doesn't matter what. It always revolves around the pain as well as the recovery. Because it's the pain that brought us in here. You forget your pain. And you won't stay. You don't, you see, when you do your step seriously and you start doing your fourth and your fifth, you speak your pain. If you're really interested in your disease, the pain that you created for yourself and the ones that you love. A sponsor very often deals with those character defects that keep reappearing, the pain. Believe you me, we are a people of remembrance. When we meet in places like this, a vision for you, when we meet at places like this, we remember the pain. 
And if we don't remember the pain, we won't stay. Somebody said it beautifully. If you don't remember how you got here, it will all come back. So especially for those who are new here, face your pain. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you something. We drank and for a while we got away with it, but then there was an incident. An incident that we could no longer run away from. It could have been a DUI, could have been a situation with our families, a wife, a husband, friend. But at some point it got out. We admitted we were powerless. And our lives have become unmanageable. It came out so it could no longer be denied. For me, it wasn't the funeral. For me, it was when I did a baptism. Now I, in England, I don't know whether you know this, in England we have baptisms at two o'clock in the afternoon. After a liquid lunch, I went to do this baptism. It was a happy time. Happy, happy, happy. People are happy. The family were there, the relatives were there, the grandmother came. People flew in for this baptism. We're talking happy. Happy. Now, I wasn't drunk, drunk. I was mellow. You know what I mean when you're mellow? When you're mellow, you don't need any help. When you're mellow, you're just in control. I go in and they're all there in the church. And I said, right. Give me the baby. <laughs> Just give me the baby. And I baptize this baby in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just not. I didn't ask anybody. The mother. She let loose such a scream. She said, Father Lord, it's a little boy. I said, I don't care what the hell it is, it's Daphne now. <laughs> she said, is there anything we can do about it? I said, no. <laughs> Forever and a day, he will be called Daphne. <laughs> How do you make a minister thing like that? I should bring him to Los Angeles. <laughs> what happened then was the mother, she wrote a letter, she wrote a letter to the bishop. And the next morning I got a call from the bishop. You may have had a call from your employer because the bishop's only an employer dressed in purple. I got a letter from the bishop and the bishop said, Father Philip? I said, yes. My name. He said, I'd like to see you tomorrow at nine o'clock. Put the phone down. I thought, why does the bishop want to see me tomorrow at nine o'clock? Why? I'd forgotten all about this baptism. <laughs> then I thought, I thought I, I've got it. Promotion. <laughs> I go to see the bishop and he says, I've got a letter! A letter! A letter! 
I said, God, he said, it's about you, you fool. He said, are you sick? Are we talking sick? Are you demented? Are we even demented? Are you having a nervous breakdown? And then he came around and said, well, I know you heard this from somebody. You heard it? You heard it from somebody. The bishop turned around, looked at me and said, Have you been drinking? Have you been drinking? Now see if you can identify with this. Who? Where are the Bible? No. <laughs> but he didn't believe me. <laughs> but he couldn't prove it. You ever been in that situation? When you know you're telling a lie, they know you're telling a lie, and you know that they know you're telling a lie. But they can't prove it. <laughs> Now, this was 17 years ago or more in England. I saw what the bishop said. He said, I'm familiar. He said, you've got to quit it. Just quit the drinking. Quit it. I mean, quit it. I said, quit it? He said, quit it. I just got to quit it. Quit it. I said, right, I'll quit it. Nothing about AA. Nothing about treatment. Nothing about... Now I'm going home in the car. And I don't know about you, my disease talks to me. Says, Leo. Leo. The bishop's on to you. So here's a funny thing. You want to know a funny thing here in Seattle? Here's a funny thing. I didn't drink for six months. I quit for six months. And you know what my sick disease said to me? If you can quit for six months, you haven't got a problem. Because if you, if you can stop for six months, hey, you ain't alcoholic. It's 1994. And you know it's still the myth that still kill us? Do you want to know some of the myths? Here's a myth. Alcoholics drink all day and every day. I never did. Alcoholics drink in the morning. I never did. You've got to drink spirit to be an alcoholic. It's got to be 34. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it isn't about what we drank, when we drank, or how we drank. It's about the effect. It's not quantity. The question is clear. When you drank, did your life become unmanageable? When you drank, did you feel helpless and powerless? The end of the story. Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't drink for six months. 
I was drinking seven up for six months. I was fizzed out. <laughs> now, some of you may be thinking, I wonder how I started again. It happened on a Wednesday. Never think things don't happen on a Wednesday. Raining on a Wednesday. And the telephone goes. And I was invited to a 21st party. And I'm stood there at a 21st party, drinking 7-Up. And you talk about coincidence. Well, we know that coincidence is when God's working a miracle anonymously. Well, at this 21st party, unbeknownst to me, with somebody from my church from three years ago. She comes over, she says, Father Leo, I said hello. Hello. She said, what are you drinking? I said, seven up. She said, oh, you used to drink gin and tonic. Can I buy you a gin and tonic? I said, no. She said, please. I said, no. She said, please. I said, okay. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all it was. Now, I bet you think, that's it. I bet you any money. Who went on a roll? No. Do you remember? It's cunning. It's baffling. It's very powerful. I had two drinks that night. I wasn't drunk. I had two drinks at that 21st party. I went home. But I left my watch in the washroom. When I woke up the next morning, I noticed my watch wasn't there. So I called the barman where the 21st party was. I said, excuse me, did you find a watch? He said, yes. I said, it's mine. I said, listen. I said, I'm worried. I had two drinks last night and the bishop said I shouldn't have any. He said, listen, Leo, you were great. I said, you don't understand. He said, you were great. I said, I think the bishop thinks I've got a problem. He said, how can you have a problem? You drank two drinks and you went home. I said, you're right. He said, I'll tell you something, I'm a barman. He said, if you're an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and he is. <laughs> I've got to get, I've got to get the watch, I've got to get the watch. And he said, here's your watch. And then he said, that. Have one for the road. Have one for the road. Same bar, same barman, it could have been in the same glass and the same bottle. But that morning when I took that drink, the lion was disturbed. And if you're an alcoholic, you know exactly what I mean. When I took that drink, I wanted to drink like an alcoholic knee. To drink. I took off my coat and I took off my coat and three drinks and then I went to another barn and another three. Two or twenty-two, not enough. I was on a roll. And by three o'clock in the afternoon I was as drunk as a 
skunk. My car, it hit a tree, and then it hit a lamppost. And it shut up, it shut up, the car shut up in there, bugger! Two women in a garden said, look! There goes Father Will. That's the way he travels now. Well, he stood there, came down, crashed down, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, cut, bleeding on a mess, we're talking mess, M-E-S-E, mess. I'm sending it to blood, oh! And then, I had, now you hear this now a moment. A moment when I saw me. I was at the side of the road, bleeding and hurt, waiting for the ambulance to come, and I stepped out of me. And I was looking at me. I didn't want to be that kind of man. And I didn't want to live that kind of life. I didn't want to die that kind of way. I had a moment. Everybody in this room, I believe, had a moment. You need to remember what your moment was. For some of you, it may have been when you went to kiss the one you love more than anybody, and when they turn around, their face is all marked by you. Maybe for some of us, it's our mothers and fathers crying at their age at their age because of the pain that we've created yet again for some of us the moment may have been that we needed to get we want to get all of our little girl our little boy sour boy and that little girl and that little boy doesn't want to be anywhere near you you all have a moment Now, I'll tell you the difference between those of us who are in this room and the drunks who are still outside. We have remembered the moment. And we never let that moment go. I've been sober 17 years. I promise you, there is not a day that I do not remember the moment. Why? Because I truly believe if I forget, it will all come back. I saw me and I picked up the telephone and I called the bishop and the bishop sent me in treatment. Just for you to know, I was in treatment in England for three months. That's a third of a pregnancy. I truly believe in treatment. When I was in treatment, I was made to look at my life. 
I was made to see. S-E-E. And I don't need to tell you that all spiritual people need to see the inner vision. The first month I didn't know why I was there. The second month I thought I was the chaplain. And I'm walking along as if I'm the chaplain. That's how chaplains walk. And there was, hey, I tell you, there was a little man. In those days, he drove a bus taking patients to the AA meetings. He was a bus driver. His name was Harry. And in those days, 17 years ago, believe it or not, you could smoke cigarettes at the nurse's station. And he always used to smoke unsipped cigarettes. And he had a flat hat. You know those flat hats? And he used to stand there and drive the bus. And I'm going by one day thinking I'm the chaplain. <laughs> and he says, hey, Leo, come here. I said, what do you want, Harry? He says, come here. I said, Harry, what do you want? He said, Leo, you're full of shit. <laughs> How do you know? You're not even qualified. I said, you're a bus driver. I said, I don't have to take this from you. I said, I'm going AMA. AMA. I'm out of here. I go upstairs. I'm packing. I don't want to stay with this. Crazy. Then I think, where am I going to go? So I wait. Wait till he goes. I come down in about an hour. He's still there. Say, hey, Leo. Come here. But what? He said, you're still full of shit. <laughs> but then he said it. Now you hear now? He said, but you can change. I said, what? He said, you can change. If you want to change, you can change. Now, as God's my judge, I cannot remember many people at that treatment center. I can't remember the counselor. can't remember the nurse. I've never forgotten Harry. Harry was my Eskimo. He lived tough love. And he really cared. I hope you heard what he said. You can change. This program is about change. I hope you realize it's called a vision for you. Not a vision for God. A vision for you. Sometimes we get so confused. It's not about God. It's about you. God was never lost. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, we miss the point. 
in treatment I realized that I had to change to get well. You don't stay the same. What do we call it? The twelve steps. Twelve steps. Nobody ever says, Peter, will you come up and read the twelve standstills? But I say that because it's amazing how many people have stopped drinking and stayed still. It's about change. There's a very big difference between being dry and being sober. Dry is like a dry leaf. Always remember this. Dry is like a dry leaf. You put any pressure on the dry leaf, it'll snap. I know some people in the program, they may have been around for years. You put any pressure, they snap. They go berserk. They may not be drinking, but they lose the temper and they go up the wall. I had to go and speak to a very big convention in Texas. 5,000 people. We're talking big. That's big. A guy meets me at the airport. I'm going to take you to the uh, hotel. We're talking hotel. We're driving along in his Cadillac. He's got a Cadillac. He said, I've got seven years. I said, great. The lights change from green to red. God, hey, that would not happen. <laughs> I said, don't worry about it, we'll change back. <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy, he's like this close to an explosion. He's an accident waiting to happen. I'm sitting in the car with him. (laughs) Dry. Check it out. This is not about not drinking. That's only mentioned in one step out of twelve. Now, sobriety is about being supple, learning to live and let live. It's not about dictatorship. This I learned in this program. When I came to AA meetings from that treatment center and I got into recovery, I tell you as a priest, I tell you, I found a God that I can understand. Not a God of a Pope, not a God of a Bishop, not a God of my parents, but a God that I can relate to, as it says. Find a God that you can understand, because that's the only God worth having. And sometimes we kind of give the impression that we in the program have to do this. Visually, it's like we have to say to God, God, take my life. Take my life. Take my life. And God's up there saying, No. 
闹，才不闹。And then God comes and looks at you in the eyes and says, "Why you return a gift? How can you return a gift? I don't want your life. It's yours." Now live it. Cry, bleed, have fun, make love, but live. How dare you give back your life? The most precious gift we have. God doesn't need your life. You do. This is a program not about handing your life over. It's about you turning your life. In a new direction, and if you don't turn it, believe me, it will not happen. The reason you're here today is because you made arrangements. You drove early. You asked for a ride. I left very early this morning from Los Angeles to be here. Nothing just happens. This is not a program of fantasy. That's drugs. You want fantasy land? That's drugs. This is about reality. This is about reality. Start to own the wonderful things you've done. I heard a speaker stand at a podium with 24 years, and I'll tell you what he said. I kid you not. This is what he said. He said, "I don't deserve to be here." He said, "I never did anything." He said, "I want to thank God, my sponsor, Bill and Bob, my wife. If there had been a dog in the room, they'd have thanked the dog." <laughs> Who did he forget? You bet. What do you mean you don't deserve to be here? You still want to hang yourself on a cross? You deserve to be here. You deserve recovery. You did. De- Why? Because you take the steps. You sweated. You were the one who was shaking. You risked a divorce. You paid your dues. I'm surprised at so many people still missing themselves, even in recovery. If I'm not mistaken, it says we admitted. Who admitted? We admitted. You don't admit, you don't get. We came to believe. Who came to believe? We came to believe. So you did it. We made a decision. Who made a decision? I made a decision. How dare we? The greatest gift, the greatest gift that God has given every one of us, is the ability to make choices, to dream our dreams. Don't ever put yourself down in this program. This is about holding your head up high. 
believe that you are a miracle. A miracle that is capable of great joy. No, take my mind, take my mind. <laughs> we reach out to the newcomer. You speak, you speak. You speak and you speak. That's why you're called a speaker, because you speak. I hear speakers sometimes say, I don't know what I have to, I don't know what I'm going to say. Then get off the podium and let's come in. <laughs> this is a program that works because it can be demonstrated. Don't we understand that? It's demonstrated. If you want the steps, if you want what we have, you will be prepared to do what we did. And it works. Now you may say to me, do other programs work? I suspect they do. But this one I know works. Why? Because it worked for me. So powerful. So very powerful. A spiritual program. And I believe in all my heart that if the world could practice the 12-step program, what a peaceful and loving place this world would be. How say, how say if on the back of a man called Bill who shared with a suffering alcoholic called Bob, how say if the very world was being taken back to God. What an incredible thought. I have, you see, seen this program. At work in Thailand, in the Philippines, in Israel, in Saudi Arabia, the same 12 steps. That's why I can tell you it's not about being a Christian. You're looking at a man who wrote a book recently on religious abuse. I was one of the first to talk about religious addiction. People who are expecting God to do things that should be at our feet. Alice Walker, who wrote Color Purple, said it beautifully. Give your prayers, feet. Martin Luther King turned around and said years ago, it's not enough to pray. You need to also be prepared to march. We have come a long way, ladies and gentlemen, in over 50 years of recovery. We started with NA, and then we reached out to, to Al-Anon, and then to CA, and then OA, and so it's gone on. So many people being helped by this program. We have only just begun a vision. <laughs> I end my sharing with you tonight and I'll tell you it has been a privilege for me to be able to share with you and some of you are old friends that I have no doubt I will see again for some of you who are new to me and me to you 
We are involved in something that should excite us so much. We should walk trippingly. We should hold our heads high. My first sponsor said to me, Drunks, don't make their bed. Make your bed. Shave. If your hair's long or short, keep it clean. Dignity. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very powerful program. Wouldn't it be sad if the drug pushers had more enthusiasm for their pushing of a disease than we have for recovery? All of us need to be reminded this is a gift that needs to be shared. Those of you who have not got a sponsor, get one. Those of you who are sponsors, don't worry about being friends. <laughs> worry about being real. Those of us who are here privileged enough to speak and to share, do it with enthusiasm and with excitement and imagination. Because who knows who is listening tonight that can make a difference to their lives. It's a privilege for me to get on an aeroplane and come here and to share. And I will give it regardless of where I'm coming from a hundred percent so important to me because you gave me a life I've never written books until I got sober now I've written five I'm writing a book that's coming out in September on self-empowerment how could I have done that without this program today I have a church in downtown Los Angeles Telling William, Mary, and by the way, make sure you're here tomorrow night to listen to Lillian. She has a story to share. But I have a church now in downtown Los Angeles, and when I went there, there were 16 people. I said, my God, what is this? I looked around, and I'm not kidding you, there was no enthusiasm in that church. I said to them, I said, the sea is giving up its dead. <laughs> and they're all here. <laughs> but you know what I did? I'll tell you what I did, because some of you may come and see me in L.A. I'll tell you what I did. I took the 12-step program into that Episcopal church. And I'll tell you, we're growing. <laughs> Because a religion that doesn't have spirituality has no soul. And you know it and I know it. More people have been condemned and hurt and killed in the name of religion than any other force in the United States or in the world. So I end my talk with you by sharing what happened to me in a, a wonderful convention like this in Atlanta, Georgia. You all listen now. <laughs> Precious. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking at that convention, and afterwards, a young man, we're talking here, is 16 years old. He's in a recovery home in Atlanta, and he shakes me by the hand. He's a cocaine addict. He shakes me by the hand. <laughs> His name is David, and he said, Father, I said, yes, he said, I love your story. Okay, David. He said, I love what you said about your moment. You remember your moment? Your moment. The car crash. The moment. But I remember, David. He said, you indicated that God spoke to you through that moment. I said, yes, he does. He says, you know, for me, the moment wasn't a car crash. He said, it was a song. I said, a song? He said, a song made me think. He said, and I've heard this song a thousand times before. But I never really heard it. And one day I was hurting so much for crack and for some cocaine. And I'd prostitute myself for cocaine and crack. And I was getting ready to go out. And as I was going out through the door, the song came on the radio. And it was originally sung by the Beatles. It's now been made famous by Tina Turner. The words of that song hit me like a moment. I said, what were the words of the song, David? And here they were. Maybe tonight somebody in this room will be touched by these words. The words of the song that turned David's life around and created his moment are these. When I was a young man, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now those days have gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and I've opened up the door. So help me. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feedback on the ground. Won't you please? Please. Help me. And he said, Father Leo, there was help for me. I said, I know, David. Because there was help for me too. Tonight, for those of you who are prepared to go to any length, there is help in abundance here. If you reach out, you will be promised three things. One, you will live again like you have never lived before. Two, you will love again like you have never loved before. And last, and certainly not least, in this program, you will laugh again like you've never laughed before. God bless you.